0: Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Turn with me your Bibles, as Pastor Kyle said, to the book of John. We'll be in John 10, verses 1 through 21. And the Bibles that we've given you kids, or if you grabbed one on the back table, that's on page 896. These two chapters, as Pastor Kyle said, 9 and 10, are interrelated and so while you're turning there, just kind of set the context here. Um, the Pharisees are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. We faintly see them functioning in such a role in chapter 9 as they're watching over the people of God. They're, they're saying who are and who aren't the people of God. And they're doing so by determining, um, uh, they, they signal this by determining who's in and who's out of the synagogue. But chapter 9 presents an interesting problem to the Pharisees in that we have this man who's born blind, who's healed by Jesus. It's not just a problem for the Pharisees, it's a problem for everyone. It's a problem for all who witness this because this event, as the blind man says, is a category killer. They've never seen anyone who has ever been healed who was born blind. How would it ever happen? At first, the Jews and the crowds and the leaders look at him and say, No, it's not him. It only looks like him. But the man himself says, No, I am the man. I was born blind. And then down in 919, the Pharisees confront the parents and say, So you say your son was born blind. And the parents stop him right there and say, No, wait, we know our son. This is our son, and he was born blind. And so the focus changes for the Pharisees because they can't contradict or they can't dispute the fact of a changed life before their very eyes. And so they shift to questioning who this man is that did it. The healed man says, I don't know who he is. I didn't see him. I've never seen him. I only heard him. He put mud on my eyes. He told me to wash in the pool of Siloam. And I did. I did what he told me to do, and now I see. The Pharisees know it's Jesus, and that's who's done this, and so they begin to put words in the mouth of the of the blind man of the healed man. We know this man is a sinner, and so how did he do this? And the blind man, the healed man says, Look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. But if he was a sinner, How could he have done this? And upon further questioning, the healed man thinks Jesus is a prophet. And then when they question him again, he says that he is from God. And later on in verse 29, he doesn't deny that he's a disciple. All this is happening in a very, very short period of time. And then he turns the tables on the Pharisees. Why do you keep asking this? Why do you want to hear my story again? Would you like to be his disciple? And so they cast him out of the synagogue. Jesus finally comes to the man at the end of the chapter and says, do you believe in the son of man? And he said, who is he that I may believe in him? And he said, you have seen him and you have heard of him. You've heard him and he is the one standing in front of you now. And he says, Lord, I believe And he worships him. So we come to chapter 10. And Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees in the crowds. And Jesus is answering for them, who is the true shepherd of Israel? These people or me? And so I won't keep you in suspense. Jesus is the good shepherd. I'm sorry if I'm blowing my cover. So let's read verses 1 through 21. And let's learn about this good shepherd. This is God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. First thing I want us to see is the good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep in verses 1 through 6. Jesus doesn't refer to himself as the good shepherd until verse 11, but we can see who the good shepherd is by the way he, one, acts. We can tell who the good shepherd is by the way he acts. Jesus said the shepherd doesn't have to sneak around. He doesn't, ha- I mean, he doesn't sneak around because he doesn't have to. Robbers and thieves, they come in the middle of the night. They have to climb in. They have to sneak around, not the shepherd. He enters by the door and the gatekeeper knows him and lets him in. So what's going on here? In the ancient Near East, you may have, uh, you may not have tons and tons of sheep. Not everybody had just just gigantic flocks, and so you may have ten sheep or something, and so you would keep them in a common sheepfold like the village green. And so you may have four or five different flocks of sheep in one pen, and you've hired a gatekeeper to to guard the, the to guard the pen, but you have all these different sheep in the pen. Each flock would have their own shepherd who owned the sheep. And so how do you determine who's a shepherd and who's the sheep and who's a thief? Are they sneaking around? Are they entering through the uh, the sheepfold through the legitimate way, through the gate or the door? Jesus is saying, I'm not sneaking around at night. I'm boldly acting and proclaiming. We read it in 9, 4, and 5. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That doesn't sound like a man who's sneaking around. And to the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens the door and the gatekeeper would do just that. He kept the gate to make sure only the authorized shepherds got in. The gatekeeper knew the shepherds so you can tell who the true shepherd is by the way he acts. You can also tell who the true shepherd is by the way he cares for the sheep. Look at 10, three, uh, verse 3 and 4. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice to what would happen in the community is that the shepherd would enter the sheepfold, stand inside the pen and he'd call his sheep. And all who were his would come to him. They knew his voice. They trusted him. And he knew which ones were his too. They don't have tags in their ears. He knows his sheep. It's not a situation where the shepherd speaks up and well, whatever sheep come to me must be mine. No, they respond to his voice because he calls them by name. He calls them by name. The shepherd knows the sheep because they're his. Look at the way the Pharisees care for the sheep. Just in this small sample of chapter 9. One of their sheep is blind and now he can see. Is there any rejoicing at all in that fact? None. Instead, they doubt him. They question him. They strike fear in the people in 922. They tell him he was born in utter sin and dismiss him out of hand. And they cast him out of the synagogue. By contrast, look at how Jesus cares for the sheep in chapter 9. He sees one in distress, begging. He initiates and heals him. He knows them. Think of how chapter 9 started. Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus looks at him and says, neither. He was made that way so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He knows that because he created him. He created him for that purpose, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus calls to his people by name because he knows them. Listen to how David, the psalmist who wrote the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Look at how, listen to how David describes the good shepherd in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. For my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were ordained for me, were, were ordained for me when as yet there was none of them he named you because he knows you he didn't name you after the fact because after he saw you so he could come up with some title that would remind him who you are the way we name our pets like you know after a characteristic you know snowy or spot or tiger or biscuit no, he knew you before he, before you existed. And he created you the way that he did. He gave you your quirks and your tics, your weaknesses and your challenges, your circumstances and your trials, your dysfunctional childhoods and your difficult adulthoods. He gave you all of it. Did he do it as a punishment for sin? No. It may be a consequence of sin. But why did he allow it? So that the works of God might be displayed in you. Jesus called to this blind man. The blind man couldn't see him. But he heard him. He responded. He obeyed him. Well, yeah, John, of course he obeyed him. I mean, after all, what did he have to lose? But Jesus didn't promise him he would see. He never said that. He spat in the dirt. He made mud. He strangely put it on his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. There was no, and if you do it, you'll see. The blind man responded to the voice of the shepherd and we see his faith bloom right before our very eyes as Jesus leads this man to a greater understanding of who he is. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. I'd like for us to notice that the sheep that the shepherd leads the sheep out. This is an odd way to describe it especially as he's speaking this to the leaders of Israel. 104 when he brought out out all his own when he brought out all his own Think about this for a moment. Jesus came to a people that thought they were on the inside. They thought they were part of the people of God. They thought they were doing things the right way, trusting in the right things. People who thought they were obeying and honoring God. People who had celebrated what God had done for them. People who had very little reason to think God was anything but pleased with them. People who were respected and who were thought to be light in a dark world. People who knew the Torah and sought to live according to it and teach their household to do the same? What pen of security may be Jesus calling you out, may Jesus be calling you out of? Are you trusting in a decision you made twenty years ago or thirty years ago or one year ago? Are you resting in your positive reputation or the Perception of people in the car line or the camp out or the workplace? Are you finding refuge in the fact that your life is pretty much okay and there aren't any crises that demand your attention? Are you banking on your quiet time or your prayer time that you keep religiously? Am I counting on the affirmation of a calling to the ministry as a basis for my inclusion in the people of God? Or maybe the shepherd is possibly calling you out of something else. Maybe you're not real interested in the good shepherd right now. Maybe you're soured on or disappointed in the whole thing. Maybe given your current circumstances, you aren't real sure whether you're in or you're out. Is this the way the good shepherd would treat his sheep? I mean, after all, when I look at my wife and my difficulties in it with my spouse or my kids or my job, I don't have a lot of personal evidence that the good shepherd is even aware of my circumstances, much less cares. It, whatever it is, is the way it is so that the works of God might be displayed in you. He knows you. He loves you. And he's calling you out this morning. Do you hear his voice? Incidentally, we don't just learn something about the true shepherds here in one through six. We also learn something about the true sheep. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice and follow him. They know his voice. They don't know where he's going so they can go out ahead and meet him there. But they know his voice and so they follow him. When you hear something in the sermon or in your daily Bible reading that challenges you or that seems to not match up with your practice or your belief or something that is going to mean embarrassment or messiness or humiliation or difficulty to you, do you follow or do you decide, nah, that's okay. I'll just stay here in the security of my little pen. If you do that, you're following the voice of a different shepherd. The one whose first recorded words were, did God really say? Jesus said a stranger's voice, my sheep will not follow, but they follow me because they know my voice. What are you doing to tune your ears to the voice of the good shepherd? That stranger's voice, unfortunately, is all too familiar to us because it sounds a lot like my voice right? Or your voice. But two true sheep learn to distinguish the voice of the stranger from the voice of the shepherd. We learn to be suspicious of our own motives and we don't act on the first thing that seems right to us because we know that there is a way that seems right to man, but it leads to death. That's what Jesus, that's what the Lord told us in the Psalms and in Proverbs Proverbs 3.5 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths making straight your path is the role of a shepherd what are you doing to give ear to Jesus do you read the word you endeavor to spend time with brothers and sisters from the church that have covenanted to speak the word to you do you pay attention in church we read quite a bit of scripture and endeavor to say what the bible says in our sermons because that's the way the shepherd speaks to us that's why pastor kyle prayed that we would encourage each other with the scriptures when you ask us as pastors uh, questions or or for advice we have a lot of opinions that we don't share I'm full of opinions but I don't want to lead you with the opinion of man rather we want to find appropriate contextual scriptures or biblical concepts that may apply to your situation we want you to be led by the word of God by the good shepherd and not by the opinions of man. We want you to hear that voice. We're jealous for you to hear that voice. Well, so in verses 1 through 6, the fact that Jesus doesn't stop right here and everybody goes, "Okay, I get it." And he moves on to something else and he has to explain further is an indictment against the Pharisees. They hear it, but they don't understand it because they aren't his sheep. Jesus goes on to develop this picture a little further, which leads to our second point in verses seven through 10. The good shepherd sustains his sheep. Jesus begins by saying he is the door of the sheep there in verse seven. He describes what he means later on in verse nine where he says, uh, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and go out and find pasture. He enters into what? He enters into the, the sheepfold of the people of God. He enters into the promise for the people of God, eternal life. This is a follow-up to what was said there in one through six that there, there are many sheepfolds you know, we talked about how there are a lot of sheep in that one pen. There are many sheepfolds, and the Pharisees thought they controlled access to the people of God. They do that through sacrifices offered at the temple or through law keeping or through man made traditions that intended to guard the purity of the of the church or the people, and through the submission to the elders. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm calling you out of that sheepfold into the people of God. And so, okay, if we're granted access into that sheepfold by law keeping sacrifices, maintaining ritual purity, by what means do I have access to the sheepfold of God? Jesus says, I am your access. I am. You enter into the people of God by me and through me. All others who came before me, who tried to bring you into the people of God, they were thieves and robbers. They led you into a trap. They led you to believe that you were part of the people of God, but you weren't. They didn't have your interest at heart. Thieves and robbers is what they were. They drive you into tight spots, threatening you and beating you. They lie to you, promising to you what they can't deliver. He certainly has in mind the Pharisees and the false messiahs that came along at this time. He's not talking about the prophets. The prophets all spoke of Christ, which, which leads to an interesting exchange here. The, the, um, um, all of this talk that Jesus is talking about, you know, you enter the sheepfold through me. This sounds like it's all new stuff. It's, you know, it sounds like a claim of the emergent church folks ten years ago. You know, put aside all you thought you knew, you know, and we're doing something different. And that's kind of what the Pharisees are complaining about, complaining about there in twenty in uh, nine twenty eight and twenty nine, and they revile Jesus, saying, "You are his disciple." Uh, uh, the blind man saying, "You are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man," We do not know where he comes from. If you look over um, at 10 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. So those two verses I just read don't seem to have anything to do with each other until we look over at Numbers 27, 15 through 18. Numbers 27, 15 through 18. It's uh, on page uh, 136 if you've got uh, one of these Bibles. Numbers, numbers 27, 15 through 18. Moses, Numbers Numbers twenty seven, fifteen through 18. Moses, who they just said were a disciple of, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in. That the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Now Joshua in Greek means Jesus. This isn't new. This is old. You're a disciple of Moses. Well, Moses was saying, we need a shepherd like Jesus. That's what we need. Jesus came to save. The thief and the robber, they came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to save. We enter into the people of God by following Jesus, by hearing His voice and following him. So, what do we make out of this? Go in and go out and find pasture. Does this mean that we go in and out of the people of God? No. If we're to press the sheep analogy just a little bit, shepherds don't just stay in one place. They they're moved, They're on the move with their sheep. It's not just the goal is not just to get a bunch of sheep and just keep them in a pen. No, sheep stay in the flock by following the shepherd. They're kept safe by continuing to hear the shepherd's voice and by following him. We may look at our lives and we may think, well, everything must be okay because I don't have any major conflict nor have I been stopped dead in my tracks and I haven't been interrupted and the Lord seems to be fine with me because he's not, you know, I haven't been found out. There's not any major course corrections in my life, right? there's a distinction between Western shepherds and shepherds of the ancient Near East that we're talking about here. Western shepherds drive their sheep with dogs. They force them where they want them to go. That's not the case with the shepherds of the ancient Near East. They lead the sheep. They speak to them and the sheep follow. And so Jesus doesn't so much jerk your head and force you to go in a certain direction. He calls you. He calls you through your reading. He calls you through your recollections of the scriptures. He calls you through the proclamation of the word, even the sermon. He calls you through conversations and questions of brothers and sisters committed to speaking the truth in love. Okay, but where are we going? I mean, where does all this lead? Salvation, eternal life. Okay, yeah, I mean, I know that ultimately, but I mean, like, what about now? Your your eternal life is now. It's now. Okay, but what about here on earth? I mean, what does the future hold? The sheep never know what the future holds. But you can know this. If you follow Jesus, the good shepherd, he will sustain you. He'll sustain you because, um, by protecting you. We see later on in this chapter in ten twenty-eight, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. He'll provide for you, he'll give you pasture Like we saw last week, Jesus is the bread of life. He feeds us, he provides for us, but he doesn't just feed us three squares a day. No, in 1010, Jesus says, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what should we expect this to look like? Going in and going out. The shepherd will lead you in seasons of activity in seasons of waiting, seasons of advancing and retreating, seasons of perceived vulnerability and times when you're holed up in refuge. We don't know what's next. We don't know how long we'll be where we are. We don't know how long this trial nor this pleasant place will last. I'm reminded of the Lord leading Israel to the promised land in Numbers nine um, fifteen Numbers nine fifteen. This is beautiful to me. Nine fifteen. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. Sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night. When the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month, or a longer time, that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the large charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Now we aren't nomads, but I think we get the sense of that in the Christian life. We get the picture in this Numbers passage that, that, uh, that's important for us to understand. We're following the shepherd when we're still in waiting. And we're following the shepherd when we're on the move. We're following the shepherd in the mundane days when nothing seems to happen and we're following the shepherd in the more active seasons of life. The good shepherd leads us in both. And in all seasons, the good shepherd sustains us. Yeah, sometimes he leads us by still waters. Sometimes he leads us through trying seasons and inexplicably, inexplicably, sometimes he leads us to stay still and trying, unpleasant, exhausting, defeated seasons that encompass large portions of our lives. But Psalm 23 suggests something about this peace and abundant life the shepherd provides, even in spite of our earthly circumstances. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You comfort me. Even in the midst of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. You, you set me apart. My cup overflows. Even in the trials, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know where it ultimately ends up, dwelling with my Lord forever. No longer dealing with threats or conflicts, but wholeheartedly and uninterruptedly embracing my Lord, my shepherd. Does any of this resonate with your attitudes in life right now? If not, perhaps we are finding our security in our circumstances. Perhaps we've placed our hope in a situation improved. Now I don't for a minute intend to trivialize any of the trials that you are enduring. I'm familiar with many of them, but I'm not fooled into thinking that I, that I know all of them. I know there are many, many trials in here that I have no idea about. But might I suggest, instead of spending your days seeking to find a way out, desperately groping for a door, cry out to the good shepherd, who calls you not with a list of instructions or hints like you're in one of those escape rooms, but rather he calls you with an invitation. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. And and learn from me, follow me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The good shepherd sustains his sheep, which leads to our last point. The good shepherd saves his sheep. We see that in verses 11 through 19. He does so. He saves his sheep by laying down his life for the sheep. As opposed to the hired hand in verse 12, who is not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, who flees at the first sight of wolves. He flees because this is just a J-O-B for him. He doesn't care about the sheep. He's doing it for money or for whatever valuable thing he's in it for, prestige, honor, ease, connections. And we see that these evil shepherds of Israel are at best hired hands and at worst wolves, either disinterested and only in it for the payout or wickedly, intentionally leading people astray Either way, it's bad news for the sheep. They're either dead or lost. And in the ultimate danger that we're talking about here, death and separation from God himself, these these shepherds can't do a single thing for the sheep. They're just as lost as the sheep are. That's why Jesus calls them blind guides in Matthew. But not Jesus. Jesus. The good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. Now, at first glance, this doesn't seem like a good thing. Sure, we appreciate the dedication. I mean, I want a shepherd who's willing to die for his sheep, right? But that doesn't do the sheep any good. The shepherd dies, may save him for a day. But tomorrow we're helpless and harassed. We're like sheep without a shepherd because we have no shepherd. The shepherd died for the sheep. But 17 and 18, 10, 17 and 18 make, show us what what makes Jesus the shepherd par excellence. The shepherd lays down his life for the purpose of taking it up again. No one can take the life of this shepherd. He lays it down of his own accord. This is a shepherd with authority. He has the authority to lay lay his life down and the authority to pick it back up, to take it up again. This shepherd can solve a problem that no other shepherd could ever solve. In chapter 9, we read a lot about sin and guilt whether sin was the cause of the blindness, whether Jesus was a sinner, you know, who sinned. The Pharisees call um, uh, the healed man a sinner. Now, in chapter 9, the Pharisees were right about a couple of things. One was that. They told the blind men, you were born in utter sin. However, they failed to realize or acknowledge that we've all been born in utter sin. They should have understood that because they had had that point driven home to them every day that Jesus taught and every day that they saw Jesus. But sin leads to spiritual blindness. And because of that blindness, we tend to justify or minimize our sin. We ignore it. We try to cover up our spiritual BO with the aroma of burnt offerings and it just adds more and more to our stench before the Lord. We've sinned against a holy God. We are due a penalty for that. These words cause the spiritually blind to scoff and mock. These words make others flee to pens that we think we can that we think can provide us comfort or religious legitimacy we try to find ways to deal with the guilt deep down that we know is there but we refuse to acknowledge and the penalty for that we deserve is eternal death because we have rebelled against an eternal god we can't pay eternal penalties in full we will spend eternity paying an eternal penalty But way back in our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 34, we read that God had had enough of these wicked shepherds. And he said, I, I will become their shepherd. And so Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life. He had no sin he had to pay for. And instead of of driving the sheep to their deaths, he went before his sheep into death. To pay an eternal penalty that only he could pay being the eternal God. To fully satisfy the requirements of the law. I said the Pharisees were right about a few things. One other thing that they were right about is that in order to be included in the people of God, there did have to be a sacrifice for their sin. The law did have to be kept to achieve a perfect righteousness. They did need to be pure. They needed to submit to their rulers. And none of that could be done by the people of Israel or their shepherds. But Jesus, our good shepherd, achieved all of that by going before his sheep into death and paying that penalty and raising three days later for our justification. Giving us little sheep who have no foggy idea where we're going with the righteousness of Christ, having imputed to us his perfect obedience, granting to us complete forgiveness of sins and a purity that only God himself could provide for us and giving us ears to hear so that we may submit and follow our good shepherd. And to bring us a little closer to us, Jesus makes clear here that he's not just interested in the sheep sheepfold of Israel. Now, he says in verse 16, I have other sheep of this fold and I must uh, that are not of this fold and I must bring them out and they will listen to my voice. He's talking about us. The people of God are not limited to the people of Israel. But Jesus said all who are truly part of the people of God are characterized by the same thing. I call them out, and they listen, and they believe, and they follow. And there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. The Jews aren't saved by law, and the Gentiles saved by grace. No, we're all saved by entering through the same door, Jesus Christ. We enter by believing on, trusting in, and following our good shepherd. One flock one shepherd and to bring it even closer to us. It's important for us to understand that this isn't some general thing that Jesus accomplished for any who will believe either now, either then, or in the future. Jesus didn't die to start a tab for the payment of sins. And once all that grace is run out, then the run out, then the party's over. No, you see in verse 4, he calls his sheep by name. In verse 14, he says, I know my own and they know me. In verse 15, he said, he lays down his life for those he knows. The good shepherd entered death specifically for you. He knows your name. He entered for you. Because God is omniscient and omnipresent, everything is always at the front of his mind. Because he is eternal without beginning or end, he never has to remember or hearken back to things. Everything is always right there at the front of his mind. And he entered the punishment of death for you and for your sin. He took on the penalty of death specifically with you in mind. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And right now, he's using these words to call to those who are his. He's active. He's actively bringing all who are his to himself. And based on what we've read today, what message could he possibly be speaking? Hey, I know. I know it all. I know it all. It's paid for. It's finished. See my scars? Don't hide there in the corner. Don't waste any more time trying somehow to work your way toward God. That's the way of thieves and robbers. Come out of the shadows. Confess your sin. It's already been dealt with. The sheepfold of respectability is a trap. I know you're disappointed. I know you're tired. That's why I came, so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Come find life. Sure, it'll be hard. Sure, there may be some embarrassment. Sure, there may be some messes, there may be some heartache, there may be a lot of pain and a lot of work that you have to deal with and it may be really hard and it may last a long time, but I'm with you and I'm leading you through it. I'll sustain you. I got this. I'm the good shepherd, follow me. You hear his voice? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you erase every single word of mine that was not yours. Father, we thank you that you take such great pains to show us this picture. We struggle and grasp for ways to describe your beauty and the wonder and the glory of your love for us and your majesty Father, we pray that You would give us ears to hear so that we may know the hope to which You have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. May we endeavor to do nothing but speak Your words to one another. For you have the words of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.